Welcome back to Unapologetically Candid. It's your man, Damon. Feels so good to be back. It's been a long hiatus, but I have with me a special guest. This is a man behind big acts such as Trey Songs, K. Michelle, Trevor Jackson. He's worked at Atlantic. You now find him over at Empire Distribution. I got Delante Murphy in the building. How you doing, Delante? I'm good, bro. How about yourself? I'm doing great. So to start it off, first question. What's the first time you fell in love with hip hop? Man, I think um, mm, my my um, second cousin had lived with us for a short time, and she had moved out of from us. I think I might have been about mm, maybe seven, eight, something like that, and she left like a whole stack of records, and it was like Sugar Hill Gang and stuff like that and 12 inches and albums and I basically had put I just took the records and just put them on a record player and I was like what what is this like what is this that I'm hearing right now and um and it really just floored me and I've been in love with it ever since I think and it's funny because I DJ now so when I pay like Apache it's like you know when I DJ or or Sugar Hill Gang or or Furious Five any of that stuff I laugh because I remember getting these box of records out of the box that was left like she moved out and i'm like wow now they still rock a party like over 25 30 years later right? <laughs> so pretty cool that's when i fell in love with it though okay so where are you from originally um i'm from the washington dc area uh born in dc raised pretty much primarily in Knoxville, hill maryland which is uh you know uh two minutes outside of southeast dc but we call the area the dmv dmv area me yeah. too from baltimore originally oh, okay that's what's up yeah so how'd you get started in the music industry um man um that's a good question every time somebody asks me that i always got to stop and pause because the question is like i've always loved music since i was five so it's like every since the age of five, anything dealing with music, I just put myself in it. So when you ask me personally, when did you get started in it? I would say at five, okay. if that's even realistic, right? But my first professional gig or my first dealing with a major company in music would be a intern for Def Jam uh, my freshman year at Hampton University. Okay. So you went to Hampton, HBCU. Yep. So you're Hampton. So you were down there around like, what, the Teddy Riley time? Yeah, I actually worked for Teddy. Um, for uh, probably over two or three years. So I worked on the Blackstreet album, Another Level. That's with No Diggity. And I then worked on the Queen Pen album. And um, that was, yeah, that was a great time too, man. That's the first time I've ever flown first class to the West Coast and actually had these meetings with Jimmy Iovine. And, um, um, wow. you know, I was very young, man. I was like 21, maybe 22. So what is that like? It's got to be exciting nerve-wracking and all that for a 21 year old fly all the way over the west coast meet one of the biggest guys in music jimmy Iveen. man it, you know when i first went out there there was a white guy sitting on the couch when i walked in and jimmy was like hey what's up that's eminem eminem wasn't on then you know this was at the time when i think you know if you think about it um i think black street had no diggity would had the sample and if you remember Tupac came out with hit him up mm -hmm. I think with the same sample yeah and from what they told me is that Tupac they you know back then you had these big reel to reel um tapes there was the masters right and then they would get delivered literally like death row and interscope was across from each other so these masters would get set down at the front door you know coming from fat acts because you have to deliver it you know and I, I heard that um, Def Row saw that it was Blackstreet, took the masters and found the sample and that's how Hit Em Up came. <laughs> um, but it was during that moment. So I think I was there right when, um, that was, I think Dre might've been gone already or maybe not, uh, maybe he was there, kind of not there. Mm -hmm. And it was just a weird time, but you know, it was dope. Like I, I was floored then, like, you know, his personal chef, I'm 22. Like, what am I doing here? You know what I'm saying? Like, like and you know and especially in a meeting at that point and jimmy says so delante what do you think i'm like what do i think like <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> yeah we're doing an album and you know we're talking about marketing and promotion because when i was working I, I first started off with teddy as a producer that he signed and at that time that was my freshman year probably my freshman year of college so it was to the people who were around at that point it was me this skinny guy named pharrell chad hugo which is the nerds 
um, Bink Dog, uh, he was there. Um, wow, I'm missing a couple of guys that was around. Chris Henderson was uh, my um, uh, college roommate. We produced together and we were signing Teddy together. Like it was just all these super talented people there at the same time. That's like crazy. it was so crazy. Um, that's how I started off with Teddy. And then later on, after we uh, decided not to go through with the deal, um, years later, I became like this big party promoter with this company called Hung Low and me and Chris Henderson, a couple other cats. And um, we could become so big where, you know, Puffy was coming to the parties, you know, Teddy and them would want to pull up, you know, and um, um, Jay-Z used to come before he blew up and Jermaine and Escape when they was, you know, so wow. everybody wanted to come to my party. So it was kind of like, I think in Atlanta area, it would be almost the equivalent of like kind of how Alex is. But, but, but if I wouldn't just stay into party promotions, I would have owned buildings. Okay. But I, I was there for college, so it was kind of like it wasn't like an Atlanta. It's like more of a transitional area between military and college area. So it was kind of like young I didn't people wanna... with a little bit of money getting fucked up. Exactly. So, yeah. but it was a trans. It was a trans. It was like almost like a trading post because you, you if you're up north from New York, you're coming down. You're going to stop at Howard in D.C. Then if you're getting tired of that, you're going to go to uh, Virginia Beach, mm -hmm. Hampton area. And then after that, you might stop at A&T, but pretty much you're going to keep going to Atlanta. <laughs> if you're still alive, you might stop at A&T. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So, you know, it was it was good. You know what I'm saying? So I learned a lot. I had a ball at Hampton. DJ Envy was there, too. So he was younger than me. He's DJing my parties. So me and him have a wonderful relationship. Like, um, um, uh, it's a couple of good people. Thea Mitchum, who is one of the highest ranking people at iHeartRadio, was there. We have a great relationship. We was all at the school together, so it, it was a great time. Sound like I should have been there. God damn, man. It, <laughs> so wait, how did you back it up? How did you uh, how did you even meet Teddy Riley? Um, I originally met him by um, I think it was a celebrity basketball game. Pu Young Puffy was there. Um him a couple other artists and um it, it, i took the opportunity to go pay the dj you know i'm a freshman i don't have no money i took all the money i had and we had did a my buddy of mine did a movie a student movie he borrowed my video camera to do it and um we did the soundtrack you know just kids who want to do music ain't got nothing to do so we did this film and it was pretty popular on campus and um um, the soundtrack was the bomb and Chris Henderson um, had produced uh, most of it and I basically paid the DJ to play it and it was a great record and I was like yo what's up I was like yeah me and my guys did this and he heard it and he literally listened in a gym you know what I mean <laughs> crowded and he was like yo it's dope come see me tomorrow and, I, and, and the reason I even went to Hampton was because I, I really didn't even want to go to him. That's the crazy part. Like, I'm from D.C., like you're from Baltimore. So for me, it was like Howard, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to Howard. Howard and, um, Homecoming. <laughs> right. It's, but it was home. I mean, it was like, you know, musically, it was a lot of stuff going on. But I was like, I should go to Howard. And then um, and then it was a young lady that I liked. And she um, always was fond of her. I noticed since middle school. And she came into math class, like trigonometry or something, crying. And she was like, yo, I didn't get into Hampton. And I'm like, I know she got better grades than me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I used to cheat off of her. Right. You know, and you had all these rumors. Oh, it's like, it's 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 Hillman. But they could, you know, and, and, and all this stuff. And um, so I'm like, well, shoot. You know, I ain't even going to black college tour because I pretty much had got into Howard and Penn, uh, Penn State gave me a scholarship, UCLA. So I was like, well, you know what? Um, let me think about it. So then one Saturday morning, I'm up eating a bowl of Fruit Loops, and this uh, special comes on about Teddy Riley building this big facility in Virginia Beach. And then I went and tried to ask people how far is Virginia Beach from Hampton. It was like about 25 minutes. So I was like, shoot. He was the biggest producer in the world at that, at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, just talking about Rump Shaker and Michael Jackson album coming off of that. I mean, he was the biggest producer in the world. So it was like, well, I want to go where the biggest producer is. So I literally never saw Hampton. I didn't go by there. I heard it was like him. I heard it had a beautiful campus. I literally told, I filled out the application and got accepted and told my my mom i want to leave not, not only do i want to leave as soon as i graduate in june i want to be gone like i want to go to pre-college so i literally graduated like june uh something six i probably was in college by june 21st damn that's confidence right there yeah. <laughs> so and that was my goal to get to teddy so i got to him within before my freshman year was over <laughs> you just said fuck a degree i just need to get into music yeah <laughs> and got that too so we got that degree too Absolutely. so had to get that uh, question. Uh, do you think that it's important to be on the business side of the music industry with a degree, or do you think that you can navigate without it? You know, it, um, 
you know, I have two sons in college and one of them wants to do music. And um, I told, he said, dad, why did, why did you go to school? I said, well, let me be honest with you. I said, I, I went for music engineering at first and I said, I stopped that because I was in performing arts singing and stuff. Like I used to sing opera and all that stuff, right? And it was like, when I got to college, I was retaking a lot of the classes that I had spent four years in performing arts high school. So I thought it was a waste of money. And, you know, they was just getting the program together. And I had a studio in my dorm room, you know, because I've been doing it, you know, buying equipment since I was in high school. And it was very expensive back then. So I just went to business. And I told my son that business, for me, becoming a successful manager, I think being a business major was one of the best things. Because it's not like you're going to retain all this information you get in school, as we all know. It's like, but it gave me enough knowledge to know what a balance sheet should look like mm -hmm. and what finance should look like and, you know, what marketing really is and the principles and, you know, you know all this stuff. And I think it just makes you more readily to be able to deal with stuff that's going to come. It's like The Alchemist. You ever read that book? Yeah. Yeah, it's like... That was just my, I feel like going to college now is like the alchemist and you're going to learn and make these relationships and it's all going to make sense later. You know what okay. I mean? So yeah. it's just like, you it's know, deep. It's, like yeah, it's like you just go through your journey and it's like you learn stuff, you know, through parties, you grow as a man, people see you. It's almost like you're in a frat or fraternity just by going to this school because we all grow up together. So, you know, like if I need to call Envy and say, like I did for Trevor Jackson, yo, you know, he's on this show. We got this music. I need to get on the breakfast club. It's like, bet when you want to do it. Because I saw him with a green Jetta with with crazy ass rims on it. You know what I mean? Now the man got Ferraris and all that. But I mean, we grew up together. So it's kind of like, you know, from a man, boy to manhood thing. So it's kind of like those are, that's the alchemist. That's the journey. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or, you know, the, the, the part of that journey is DJ Envy's boss is Thea Mitchum, who went to Hampton. Went to Hampton, so. You know what I mean? It's part of the journey. So, you know, I think that you should go. If you can afford to go, and I think it's different. Like my mom paid for my college in cash. I ain't have no loans. You know what I'm saying? So I was very blessed. Hampton right now is 40 grand. You know what I mean? See, this is why I went to a state school. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's 40 grand. And, you know, I looked at my son and I got some money. And he, you know, I was like, if you want to go to Hampton, you could go. But I'm like, geez, like, I wouldn't go now if it was 40. I think when I went, it, it was like 9,000 to 11,000 a year. So my mother might have spent over four to five. I think I was there five years. So she might have spent about 45 to 50 grand. You know what I'm saying? But think about it, that's one year now. That's ridiculous. Right? That's so a, I told my son. That's a down payment on a house. Exactly. And I told my son, listen, he got a scholarship to, to chat him. I was like, I never heard of it. I said, let me tell you something, son. My perspective has changed. Every generation is different. You go where the scholarship is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Go where the scholarship is and know why you're there and stay focused. Absolutely. You know? So that's what my, my um second my um second to oldest did and then my oldest uh got some scholarships as well. He goes to Old Dominion, which is right down the street, well about twenty minutes from Hampton. Okay. So that was ironic. So as what to pick back off of what you said of staying focused, when you were out there throwing the parties, what was Given that you didn't necessarily go there for the education, you went there for networking and getting into the business. Was the parties and, and meeting Teddy Riley and all that, did that hinder your education at all? No, I think it was all part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I'm just, you know, I was just wanting to get it. You know what I mean? So okay. I'm the type of guy that, you know, it's like I, school was what I was supposed to do. I had a part-time job. I threw parties. I wanted to get to Teddy. It was just, it wasn't enough hours in a day for me to get it. You know what I mean? Been so there. yeah, still there. Yeah, so it was just whatever we got to do to get it done or whatever I got to do, I could rest later. And I had that energy then, you know what I mean? So it was just, what else am I doing with my life? But, you know, wasting hours partying. I wasn't, it's funny, I decided I didn't want to be the party person. I didn't want to go to the parties. I wanted people to give me money to go to the parties. Gotcha. You know what I mean? I decided that really early. And you I, didn't want to just attend, you wanted to run the party. Right. The first party I went to in college, I looked at this guy named Martinez and I saw the money he was making. I saw how he was running it and I was like, literally the first party I went to off campus, I was like, I want to be him and I want to take him out. Some Game of Thrones shit. Right. I like it. Just take him out. I want, I want to take him out and I want, and I did. 
you know, uh, with a team and, and, and I, and I took him out and he gave me, I think he passed well, God bless his soul, but he definitely gave me my respect, you know, before he kind of bowed out of the area and was like, you got it. You know what I mean? So it was cool. You know? So I think when I left, we were undefeated. I left because I left. Like it was like, I was just, <laughs> you retired. You didn't, retired. you didn't get taken out. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's definitely should. Yeah. I think that's pretty accurate. All right. So you working for Teddy Riley, you, you get flown out to Interscope. What next? And how do you how do you become uh, involved with Def Jam? So Def Jam was there was a symposium and it was um this is kind of crazy once again it's the Alchemist it was a symposium um you know in the communications department I went and uh, there was a guy named Kevin Mitchell there and he was speaking he was the the, the you know the, the promotional rep for the Mid Atlantic mm-hmm. and you know instead of asking questions like all the other students I was like isn't it true because you know I was the kid since five that was reading album covers and like what's an A and R and who's this and trying to connect the dots and reading the Hitman books you know I right. still don't even understand all the concepts but music was everything so I I knew a lot more I think than the students that were sitting there so. After a while, I kept just saying, isn't it true? So he was sitting there and giving out his cards like you do most of these little symposiums or things on college campuses. And I was sitting over there and people were coming to me like, hey, you know a lot. So he, while he was um, giving somebody his number, he was like, hey, man, you want a job? And I was like, what? He's like, I want you to come work for me on your Christmas break. Uh, you're going to be in, where you from? It's like D.C. He was like, come to my um, office in D.C. and then you'll get started, you know, Christmas. So I think December 1st, I was sitting in his apartment. He handed me a whole bunch of albums and this and that and told me what to do. And when I went back in January, you know, I went with him a couple of D.C. things and I went back in January. I was running it. So there was another intern that I met probably about four or five months later. This fat guy gets out of, um, he was about 26 at the time. Mm -hmm. I was 19 and the fat guy gets out of, um, out of, uh, I think it was like a Z with some posters falling all the place. And I was like, hey, what you doing? What's your name? He was like, my name is Kevin Lyles. Wow. That's funny because my cousin actually went to high school with Kevin Lyles. Right. So it was weird because he was older than me, but he was an intern just like me. Had a lot of drive, a lot of ambition. Um, oh, and for people who don't know who Kevin Lyles is, he used to be, he was a former president of Def Jam. He actually got started writing a song for Million Vanilli and then just... Right. And he was second... We can't take it away from him. We have a lot of differences, but I think at one point he was second in command of Warner Brothers, so he was the highest ranking black official, exact. I think, for wow. exec for a, a couple of years. Yeah. I think, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So how was that experience working with Kevin Lyles? Um, I mean, interns, we were just interns. He was in Baltimore. I was in Virginia. And then when Kevin got up, Kevin Mitchell, they wanted me to take over to, to be the regional. They didn't know I was that young. Mm. And Kevin didn't hate. Kevin Mitchell didn't hate. And I went for an interview, and I'm sitting there in front of Russell and all the other guys, and they like, how old are you? I was like eight, about to be 19. It was like, well, how can you interview for uh, Kevin's job as a mid-Atlantic person and you can't even rent a 24, you know, a 16-passenger van. Right. I was like, it was like, how do you get in the clubs? I was like, they just let me in. <laughs> it was like, how do I you... I run them. <laughs> right. It was like, how do you get to the radio? Because, you know, you never... So what ended up happening was they gave it to Kevin uh, Lyles and um, that was part of his alchemist and his journey. It wasn't mine. And they was like, you know, they told him, yo, Delonte, you and him going to be president and vice president of Def Jam one day. But I think once Kevin took over, that's kind of like, when you get older, you think about it, that's kind of intimidating, right? Like the guy that they're supposed to give it to is too young. They give it to you. And then they expect you to keep this kid under you By because default. you know, right. And he's a monster. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like 20, like I was saying, up doing everything. So that had to be intimidating. You know what I mean? Because I had DJs that were like, oh, Kevin, you know, Kevin would call, Kevin Lyles would call and be like, yo, um, um, yeah, I need, I need to do this. They'd be like, no, no, Delonte got it. Like, we cool, we get it, but Delonte got it, so just give it to him. And I think that just started. He couldn't build his relationships in that area, which was important because I was in the way. Right. Because they just, like, we good. You know, he, he took care he of it. He already got it wrapped up. So, so I think that started me and his relationship going um, further apart for him to protect him on himself, mm. you know. And to my credit, I mean, to me, dealing with me, like I was a cocky, go-get-it kid. So that was a lot to deal with, too. You know what I mean? And this is your first. Think about it. He's 26. He was an intern. So he don't want nothing to mess up his situation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that was his last leg. Right. Like. Right. You know what I mean? And that was his alchemist. That's what you almost stuck him out. To, right. That was his his role to become the, you know, to do what he did at Def Jam and dealing with those artists. And especially that was Def Jam at a time where Def Jam wasn't really hot. No. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Right we, we were just 
getting red i helped break red man and onyx and that was kind of the rebirth of def jam was starting to happen so you know at that era ll was still pretty much the number one guy jay-z like wasn't EPMD there yeah epmd and all that the gold digger like that's when i was around so you know that was that era okay yeah. so um while you were interning did you work a regular nine-to-five job where you just mm. just solely just well, that was my freshman year. It was early on. So maybe the symposium might have been like October if we started in September of the official freshman year. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, you know, I didn't have a job working for Def Jam all the way through that. So I survived by just dating older women with cars and be like, I need to be here, 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 and there. <laughs> so I was 19. Them? I had to date a 21-year-old because she can take me to the club, you know, to make right. sure I was with the artists and get in and da 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 She buy drinks. Right. Was, <laughs> but any, whatever I had to do to survive. That's a resourceful man. Right. I like it. So, so that's how that happened. So, given that, especially a lot of the younger generation have no clue what this position is, what does an A&R do? Uh, stands for Artists and Repertoire. Mm, I don't know. My job is to find new talent that... Um, I have three things for me. So, a and supposed to find new talent. Once you find that talent, you're supposed to help get them, you know, the right records, hit records, get their project together, you know, whatever, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, you are the ears in the streets for the record label and the record label is supposed to depend on your ear and what you see in order to invest their money and time to be able to, to bring somebody to superstardom. And that's what an A&R do. Um, I think A&R, the name, it, the, the, the meaning of it has changed a little bit over the years because with the internet, it's like A&Rs don't even have to be A&Rs no more because you could literally sit on the internet and find whoever's already building up a buzz just however they're doing it and you can offer them a certain amount of money and try to catch them early and then just see what happens. Mm. That ain't what I do. I, I'm, I'm still old school in the fact that uh, I think my talent in A&R or management, whatever you want to call it, is I could see a diamond in the rough. I could see a superstar underneath this... This, I see this coal, and I'm like, if we press it hard enough, it'll become a diamond. I think Trey was a lump of coal, but I knew he was a star. Uh-huh. But there was so much vocal development. There was so much uh, show development. There was so much trying to figure out what this brand is. But I knew when it was compressed that it was going to be great. And um, saw that. I saw K. Michelle the same way, yeah. rough around the edges. You know, well, She's still rough around the edges. She is. Way, <laughs> way, yeah, way. She's still very much raw. Let's yeah, yeah, she is. But she was even more raw then, so you can imagine. But she, but I no, knew. I don't think I can. <laughs> no, no, probably not. But she, she, you know, um, I knew that. I knew that she was a star and she was going to command people to look, listen to her, wrong, right, or indifferent. Mm-hmm. And I knew that there was a lot of women like her bothered. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. In pain, not in touch with certain levels of reality. Needing a voice. Needing a voice. And I knew that there was nobody really representing that. So you know, she deserved her shot. Okay. So yeah. how did you even um, find K. Michelle? Um, Jive Records called me and um, said, first Jive Records called and was like, yo, we don't like what happened with you with Trey and, and uh, at Atlantic and mm-hmm. Kevin becoming his manager and we don't really get involved in stuff like that over here. We do our lane and you do your lane. So we want to give you this girl that we think could be the next, you know, Keisha Cole or Mary J. And uh, she she's had management issues and we want you to be the manager so would you take a meeting then ironically one of her old managers called me and said I think you need to deal with this girl named Kay Michelle so after I got the second call um, I think my partner Bobby Fisher at the time he ended up getting a call so I was like I you know I'll go do that I was actually looking to manage this girl named um, Paula Campbell in Baltimore oh. and um, um, I was thinking about dealing with her and I felt like something could be there and me and her was already talking, and um, I t- had to be honest with her, and I told her, I said, I think I'm gonna do this K. Michelle thing because she has a deal. And you yeah. know, she had just got out her deal with Neo and Sony, so I was like, I'm gonna go do this. And me and her are friends to this day. Okay. So me and Paula are really close. So, um, um, you know, it was what it was. Yeah. So you said there was um, a situation that happened at Atlantic with Trey. One, uh, back it up, how'd you even meet Trey Songs? Um, Troy, I managed Troy Taylor, right? So me and Troy um, was rocking. I was living in New York, and he just told me that, you know, um, we had did a couple of, did some great business together, and he was like, there's this kid that signed through my old situation of characters with my old partner, but he should be getting out. And I think that there's something there, but I want you to meet him, and if I decide to want to take this on, I'm only going to do it if you're the manager. So he was young, like 17. So I said, all right. So I met him, skinny, brown-skinned, big, kid with a smile big you know braids didn't even hit the back of his neck and i was like 
he just looked like the cool dude. He looked, he reminded me of the cool dude on the block that the drug dealers protected. You know, like, yo, he, he a pretty boy, y'all. He, you mess with him, you mess with me. Like that cool dude. Oh, yeah. That he after your girl, you can't leave him with your girl. And I was like, he's a star. You know what I mean? We just got to figure it out. You know what I mean? But he's a star. And I think that's what his appeal is to this to this day. I think that that's what it was. He just seemed like the cool, pretty nigga in your, in your class that the girls like, and he just cool as hell. Got you know a pack I mean? of Newports in his back pocket or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, not new, maybe a blunt. Not <laughs> maybe a, a blunt. You know what I'm saying? But, Does Trey Song smoke weed? Uh, no comment. Okay. So that's, that's probably I don't know if that's for me to say <laughs> somebody else's business. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> All right. Um, so you meet Trey Songs, Young Skinny Kid. Where do you go from there? How do you even cultivate him as an artist ready to be signed, to be approached uh, mm-hmm. by Atlantic? I think the first thing is you get the music right. So I think, you know, Troy and him went in the basement. I told him to bring me back uh, five songs that I love. I think he brought me back ten. And, um, you know, doing that, we would they would send me records here and there, and, and we would talk about what's missing and this type of song. And that was my first part of really A&R, and mm-hmm. I think, like, it was like, no, we need this record because he's on this and he's saying this, and we just pieced it all together. And when it was done, I had a relationship with Mike Karen because I had I was managing this group called the Slump Masters. They were producers in a group. They reminded me of an outcast, so they did screw mixes and I had did one for Nappy Roots. Mm. So then Mike was like, if you got anything, let me know. So this is back when, you know, AOL. So you couldn't send the music. You know what I mean? This <laughs> is like take right when it takes full forever. 24 hours for that. <laughs> right. So I sent him a CD and um, marked it on it. He listened to it. He called me back and said, if this kid is a star, I'm going to sign him. So Troy's wife had just got this new Sony digital camera and we, I took a picture of him or me or somebody took a picture of Trey on the steps. I remember I was there. And then I got it and I emailed it to him. As soon as he saw it, he was like, yo, I want to sign him. So simultaneously, um, once that happened, Trey's attorney had knew somebody, uh, Brian Postel at DreamWorks, and then they told them, and then that started the bidding mm. war between Atlantic, DreamWorks, then Jermaine Dupri offered something, then um, L.A. jumped in, I think, like the last minute at Arista, then, um, or oh, it was Arista, and, um, and then KG jumped in, who did Jaheim and mm-hmm. Warner, do his deal. So it was like this big hype, about, oh, we got to sign this kid from Virginia. So we were very blessed. Okay. Yeah. So... Atlantic approaches you guys. They had the better deal. Not necessarily. Okay. Really? No. I think DreamWorks had the better deal on paper. And I like think more money or yeah, a lot of actually the stuff they offered us helped us get a great deal at Atlantic. But I think DreamWorks had the better deal on paper because you're talking about men who, you know, Spielberg, Geffen, and um, I forgot the third guy. I mean, they did this label, but they already were super rich mm-hmm. so it was about oh let's give back like you know what i mean like let's give back and don't be on people next it's a nice charity case right yeah wow. so they gave a lot of stuff but um i think that I, the decision came I, I was talking to troy and um i said this is a great deal man but you know when we in la you know this is all feng shui and you know it's like oh you know yeah everything's good and i think the Ozzy brothers had their stuff there when they did download and all that stuff so it was you know floridry was there and i was like this is just i was like yo bro i, I come from street promotions like and throwing parties like i just think that when you go to new york labels it's just more of a grind yeah, like more, grit more gritting and getting it in it's, this looks like everybody's going to get massages mm-hmm. like during the middle of the day i was like i just don't see this company knowing how to break this type of artist. And I feel like, first of all, I said, then we all live in New York. I was like, I think it's important for us to walk the halls every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have to fly out here and do meetings and stay. Yeah, I was like, I don't, stuff in. right. I don't know if this is good for us, but it's funny because I told Trey my thoughts and Troy agreed and we rocked and he had known Craig Kalman too. So um, from the chairman point of view and, um, um, you know, Trey was like, nah, I'm going to DreamWorks. Gotcha. So, I mean, it was, you know, it's funny how I had to sit there and talk to him and tell him why this is good and pray. And then he finally said, okay. And um, it's funny that DreamWorks shut down like a year and a half, two years later, right? That was a dot. There's a bullet well dodge. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's, it's kind of weird, man. You know, sometimes, you know, I just, it, it taught me a theory. No matter who we are. Um, especially artists, we need to be coached. I think that Michael Jordan won those rings, not because he was just a great player. I think he was really well coached. Mm -hmm. And I think Phil Jackson... um, Triangle. 
the triangle, and I think he proved it again in L.A. Um, he has the knack of yeah. taking Didn't prove it that much in the Knicks, but... Uh. <laughs> no, no, no. no. And, and, and granted, did he coach the Knicks? No, he was just a general manager, right? Oh, uh, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't think he ever coached the Knicks, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was general ma- But that's the thing. Maybe he's a coach and not a general manager. That's what I learned. You know what I'm Sometimes saying? Sometimes you got to stay in your own lane. Right. Maybe he's a coach and not a general manager, and he's not good at making a deal. So you got to give credit to whoever he was at helping him acquire the talent that he needed right it takes a village right it takes a village i think that he had too much control that's my opinion I, I ain't never do it but you know but i still think you need to be coached well great people are coached well i think quincy jones coached michael well absolutely you know what i mean he made thriller when he was what 50 <laughs> right and he did and he had um you know he did off the wall before that mm-hmm. and um i think he did i'm bad after that and then they parted ways um I think that you just got to find out, you got to look for that coach in your life who's that coach for you. You know what I mean? And, you know, I think that um, I have mentors. I think so our mentors are, they're coaches. Mm-hmm. Say, yeah, you should do this, watch this and watch that. So I think me and Trey had a great run because I think that, you know, we had a great relationship and I was a great coach. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I think he's had a lot of success after me, man. I, I'm very proud of him being able to keep going. But, you know, it's almost like um, – it depends on our perspective of who did we get the championship. Right. You know what I'm saying? And um, that depends on the level of what we think a championship is, a championship, a Grammy, even though we, like, we don't care about a Grammy. Yeah, we all care about Grammys. You yeah, know what I'm saying? because you get to charge more if you get one. Right. We want a Grammy. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's like, why I want to ask. Right. Because I get want, to charge more. Right. The right. You want, the, you, you want the hardware. You want to be appreciated by your your, your peers. You, 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 you want to be iconic. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I think that a lot of that is just great coaching. Like, yeah. I think Tina Davis did a great job coaching Chris Brown, you know, to – superstar right um now chris brown and trey came out around the same time correct yep chris brown light skin haircut low dancing all over the place right clearly took off quicker than trey songs did absolutely um chris actually opened for our tour i put him on his first little tour run Mm. so that's pretty cool right yeah yeah Put him on, just. Oh, I didn't put him on, but I put him on just for this tour, and right. uh, that was the first time him performing, running, and you know, doing a couple of shows with us during this singular Black College tour. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Absolutely. So, you guys see that Chris Brown is actually taking off more. Do you guys that's course correct the way Trey Songs is supposed to go because of it, or is there anything like, or you just feel like the path that you guys were on at that time was the better right. place to go? I think. Um, I mean, I think Trey was Trey and Chris was Chris. Mm. Um, you know, I always told Trey it would take three albums. And I always would tell him that, you know, um, Jay-Z did it in three, basically. Prince really blew up after the third. And, you know, I can go numerous times of people Rihanna. building it. Yeah. So it's like, do you want to do the slow grind where you really building a real fan base that's going to be there forever? Yeah, or, do, or longevity? Or do you want to, what, if you get a hit record right off the back of your first album, let's talk about how many people you don't hear of again. Mm. So I think I'd rather build you and develop and stay right in this area where people grow with you and then it becomes this huge monstrous thing. So, but I think... Was it pressure? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, Chris is probably 40 minutes to an hour away from where Trey grew up in Tappahannock. He was in Petersburg, two little, you know, country, suburban, I don't know what to call those places. It's not a city, <laughs> like a big city. And um, so I this- think it, it's a lot of pressure, man. Like, you know, this little kid comes over and and, and murders you and, and blows up. You know, and it took time. People think Chris blew up instantly. It took a year and something for Run It to be work right. But, um Let's just look at it. I mean, Trey had braids and pants were sagging, and he was more of a street image, and Chris looked more of the happy-go-lucky kid that danced and sang. And mm-hmm. let's not get it twisted. Chris is an, an, a remarkable talent. Mm. I'm talking if we're we not going singing and dancing and writing. We just go art. Let's go, you know, um, acting. Yeah. Like, he is good at all that. So he was a better weapon yeah you know probably shouldn't say weapon involve chris brown but oh yeah 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 saying. sorry chris sorry he has chris. a great combo yeah yeah he, he he's just a multi some people are just born like that too man and you know like i just tell trey listen man that's cool that's who he is i don't, I think jay-z um jay-z don't dance and do an act and all that i think he just stayed focused on what he was doing and just made the right moves to make sure that it it happened the way it needed to happen so i think we we stay where we are you know what I'm saying? Right. And just try to make a, just try to become the better version of ourselves. 
and I think on Ready is when we became the better version of ourselves. Okay. You know, that was the, that was the when I knew like, yeah, this is it. This is it. Now I know where to go left and right. And unfortunately, um, he decided to go with somebody else before I could finish what I think it should have went to. So how did that come about? Mm. I just think, you know, Drake, we did a song with Drake early. Um, T Slack, who was his manager at the time, called me and said he wanted to do a record. And it's I the loved- successful joint, right? That was before that. It was a song called Replacement Girl. Oh, okay. That basically T Slack, his manager at the time, hit me on on um, MySpace and was like, "Yo, I got this kid Drake. He was on Degrassi. Hot, da da da." At the time, um, we were on Trey's first album, about to go on the second, I think. And I part of what I did on the first album is I let him do features all over the world because I had a friend who works for. Um, downtown music group now and he had gave me a hint he's the, he's the ceo of it now but he was like just you know whatever and he was like yo um if i was you i would just do features all over the world and the problem with american features is that we um that a lot of times when they go to japan or germany and do a feature they'll take the money but they won't support the artists at local come back mm-hmm. and do a big show or the videos so i basically was like this is what we're gonna do so we did records with people all over the world so when drake came up it was like damn he, he the demo is like he sound like trey on the hook he literally wrote the rap. he sound like trey so i was like dang man he sound like you to do good rap he reminded me a little eminem at the time mm-hmm. if you ever go look back at the record replacement girl but i was like he's dope he's talented you know he was gonna pay us to seventy five hundred dollars and he was in canada so technically that's in another country hey so it fit with the plan hitting all the quotas yeah so that's how drake got on so imagine you got chris brown then you put Drake on it. You get you get you get on a record with Drake early. Drake is running around behind us everywhere. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, cool. He actually actually asked me to be his manager, and I told him no because his manager didn't what? do anything wrong. Yeah, he, his manager did everything right. So I was trying to be back then. It was honor amongst managers. It was like uh-huh. it wasn't like he came to me and said, "Oh, my manager stole some money from me," or he wasn't getting it done. I'm like, your manager called me, and you got an artist signed to a major label with an album out that you got on a feature what is your manager doing wrong? Like, you know what I mean? This is before it was double management. It wasn't G and hip hop and it wasn't, it was just single managers. Mm-hmm. Like that was the code. So I followed the code in honor. And um, do you regret it? Hell yeah. <laughs> and T Slack is my man. T Slack did an interview and he said, he was like, nah, he was like, Drake wanted Delonte to be his manager. And he's now um, at Atlantic and um, he's, he he now just got a job and got redemption and got an A&R job at Atlantic. And, um, he said in an interview, he's like, no, nah, he wanted Delonte to be his manager. So it's kind of cool, right? Like, <laughs> it's a nice shout out. Yeah, but it's cool. Um, but I think for me and Trey, if you think about Chris blowing up and then Drake just going kaboom on his his alchemist pass, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? It just got to the point where it's like, wow, is it me? Is it the manager? I should be making, you know, because these, these are your comrades now. So mm-hmm. they're, yo, Trey, come look at the new Ferrari I bought. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, he's like, oh, you know, the baby just gave me this. Uh, what did what did baby give Drake? I think he gave him a. If it wasn't a Maserati, it was something like that. Yeah. So you know, you know, Trey was never a car person. He had money, you know, but he was he bought a big house in Virginia and took care of his mom and grand. You know, yeah, so he's he, a good old boy. He's a good old boy. He didn't really spend money like that. And um, but at the same time, I think he got to the point where he felt like if I wanted one. I should be able to do it without having to think about it. Right. You know, and I think that you that... You want that security to know that you can do it. Yeah, and I think that started, um, you know, and I kept telling him, wait, trust me, this third album is where it's going to happen and the way it's going to set you up. And I think that it just got to a point where he was tired, I knew it was coming, and people was coming in his ear because he, when he cut his braids, it's like, oh, here's a here's a guy that can sell something now. Yeah. And women, and he's grown, he pulled his pants up. So I think the vultures came. Oh, he looks less offensive now. Right, <laughs> and I think we fell into that, and I think people got in his ear and in between, and then it just spiraled out of control, and my contract was up. Mm. So, you know, it was. it's just, I learned a lot in that, you know, from accountants, um, we had the same account now. I'd never do that again. Never oh, do yeah. that. Um, because then the problem is, is that, you know, the accountant, we was, you know, people get at him like, oh, well, if you give us your client, if you can get Trey from Delonte, then I'll give you Rihanna. Right. So then you, you become, you Absolutely. know, like what's going on. You know what I'm saying? Or, 
you know, the artist's going to spend the money, they need to spend the money, but you're getting commission from them, and then you're saving your money because you're basically just chilling because you're, you know, more mature. And then they'd be like, well, how come he got more money in the bank than you? You know what I mean? But it isn't that he did nothing illegal. It's just the fact that he's not spending his money. He's not being flashy. He's not being flashy. He's just kind of keeping low or whatever, you know, not taking care of everybody, whatever. So I so think... So being an adult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's life. It is what it is. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, if we were 20-something with millions of dollars i know i would squander the hell out of it in a heartbeat exactly i'd so, probably be dead in vegas somewhere most likely. yeah exactly so it's, it's 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 no big deal i don't even you know me and trey i mean we we, we sent text messages back and forth mm. uh light work you know i went to his 10th anniversary and we've never really talked about it you know and i think for a long time i always was looking for this conversation it just wasn't going to happen you know what i mean you know <laughs> between that whatever so i think that you know you know, you do what you can, and when it's over, it is what it is. And, um, um, and you know, God has blessed me by Atlantic saying, hey, you know, you did a great job, and, you know, uh, you did K. Michelle, so come work with us. And, you know, I got four years to do that over there, almost four. And then when I leave there, I get to go to Empire mm. and they have more control of what I do and, you know, get to sign great artists and, you know, um, uh, it's just part of the alchemist, man. So I just try to let it go. Okay. So, wait, were you the one that convinced Trader Cousins yeah. raids off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was a team effort, though. I mean, I just asked him myself. I said, if you trust me, um, just just, just let, let me kind of tell you what this album's supposed to do mm. even from the picture. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think he just the shit him. worked. I can tell you that much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The workout, I was working at LA Fitness and Camp Creek, and I told him, you know, I got this album cover idea that's like, it was like kind of taking off LL Cool J, Mama Gonna Knock You Out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, the gray, the black and white, and you'll be a chest, but you don't have a chest, so we need to go work out. <laughs> so let's get it, cut you, and it, and it worked. It's an iconic cover that people still love to this day, and, um, and, uh, uh, and that worked. So. Wow. Okay. So, um, what's it like? How'd you even get over it at Empire? So, Gazi was in a in A and R means with me, and we would just chop it up, man. And I just was unapologetic, I guess, real and transparent. So, I think he appreciated me just keeping it real with you know, the the building and what I saw. And I think that he's a great guy. So, I think when he knew that he needed another person to come in, I think he just felt like you know my loyalty. Um, and my transparency was real and he believed in my vision. So he definitely was like, come rock with me. You know what I mean? Like, please come rock with me. So that's how it happened. Oh, okay. So you, you still have an A&R position over there. Right. Yep. I left there. Actually, I think I left Atlantic in November and I was working for Empire in January. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So it was like, I had a little break to do some whatever and jump. Then I came travel. here and opened up an office by myself. Yeah. So... So do you even get time to like travel and like like speak out like how much of like what's your day to day as an A and R? I mean I get up about six in the morning, you know, meditate. Boom, I got a daughter at six. I take I get her ready, take her to school, and I'm in my office usually from seven eight. Listen, I mean from seven to probably uh, ten eleven. Listen to music. I usually you know just listen to music, going over emails, uh, checking out who's vibing, who's not, mm. um, and then you know. I usually go work out for an hour, and then I I end up at the office at about one o'clock. The only reason I get there so late is because we're actually in the Icon Studio building, okay. and the owner doesn't open the building until twelve. Damn. Okay. So upon us, this will be our first year coming up. So I just think it was like, well, if you need to be there, I was like, well, I like to be at the office by nine or ten. Mm -hmm. But he was like, well, if you need to be there, I could be there whatever you want. And I was like, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll just work out of my home office. I'll come after lunch, and it's not a big deal. Like you know, until we build up, you know, right. it's his building. So I mean, him and his wife, and they don't want to have everybody having keys, and they didn't know us, but right. they People knew us, right? So probably at the top of the year, we'll get keys and do what we want to do okay. so that's what that's why my 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 thing is that way because because empire is headquartered out of san francisco right right so do you have an office out there as well yeah uh well yeah i mean i guess really when we come here we take over the uh we just moved into a new office but i kind of pretty much just take over the conference room okay so I just on the phone on my laptop and 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 my headphones or whatever I'm in there. But <laughs> Somebody walk in, can I help you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think he's about to build like this big studio compound where he want A and R's to go and stuff like that. So I think he's looking to do that soon. Wow. Okay. So it seems like, especially from like what Atlantic's been doing recently, like signing like the Cash Me Outside girl and all that kind of stuff. There's like 
different types of A&Rs out there. Right. Uh, which, which one would you say you are? Mm. I would say gut. gut I'm a instinct. gut guy, gut instinct. Like I, I love looking at the the analytics, and sometimes you could be good, but even on the analytics, I'm looking at is this person a star? Mm. You know what I mean? And and am I going to put in time to really want to develop them? Because my goal, like Ghazi told you, I, I brought you to Empire to to sign superstars, not to just sign distribution deals or chase after those, because that's what they do all day. Right. My job is to find somebody and develop them. So that's why I signed a Trevor Jackson to say this is a superstar. He's more like a Chris Brown. So yeah, how do we figure it Jack out? Jack of all trades. Right. How do is we he, figure that out? Because mm-hmm. he was on what American Crime. Right. And he's he's the star of the new Grownish. Oh no, Grownish show that's about to come out on Freeland. Um, that's the ABC network uh, thing, whatever. Um, From uh, Kenya Barris, right? The right, blackish. right. So he's a star with her. So he's about to do that. So you know, we signed him, and I, you know, he he's a superstar. So we got him. I signed Saint Beauty. Um, Damn. Uh, I signed them recently They're on tour with Janelle Aiko. I signed Drew Hill for a two album deal, and we just put out this fantastic Christmas album. Um, um, we're about to do their album proper, but they're getting such a huge response from the Christmas oh, yeah. album that it's like building up this huge thing. So Drew Hill is making a comeback. Yeah, you'll love that album. Check it out. All right, interviews over. In I don't care anymore. <laughs> Christmas in Baltimore. That just sounds dangerous at that point. It's I dope. I don't yeah. think that's something you don't want to really be about. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, you got to listen to it. It's a dope album. It's not your typical Christmas album. Okay. That's what makes it so I'll dope. Definitely have to check that out. Um, so, what would you say is your best? industry experience like if you had to go through the years so far and pick one out from atlantic to empire to to, to hampton i would say right now i think empire will be it but i would say right now those first date that learning process of the first and second and third album with trey was just monumental in my development Mm. like i mean just because you do everything i mean you're the manager so you're involved in the songs and the producers and the video like I've directed can't help but wait video so imagine like you're this kid from Hampton and you look up one day and you're in Toronto Drake is sitting beside you he wasn't in that video can't mm-hmm. help but wait but the only reason I was there because I met the video director who did replacement girl and I was like yo I need to I want to do can't help but wait so I come up with this whole treatment and I'm sitting in a director's chair you know next to Drake, who's nobody at the time, and I'm directing this video, and this song goes number one. So that was just a dope time of not taking no for an answer and figuring out how to get to the yes, no matter what we had to do. And I think that was one of my best, right now I would say that would be one of my best moments. So yeah, I think Empire is gonna be the next one, absolutely, because at Atlantic, I kind of had my hands tied because mm-hmm. you got like people you got to check in with and egos and all this stuff and how they want to move. And I love Atlantic. I think that it could work. But it was like coming from a manager, I fought the dragon and then I'm part of the dragon. Mm. And then I'm like, OK, am I the wings, the mouth or I'm coming out the ass? I'm not the <laughs> ass of the dragon, you know? <laughs> So it's just weird because you just used to do what you want to do. So at Empire, it's, it's it's open, but the reason it works for me is because I was a manager and I've been used to I've been used to having all this responsibility mm. of managing all type of you know of dealing with the music to the whatever whatever whatever. So for instance, I can go from at Empire in Atlantic, you do the album, you turn it in, marketing does what they do. You know, if you're an A and R, you kind of lean on radio to make sure they do what they're supposed to do with your joint because that's your bonus and right. your artist. But at Empire. Um, it's like I I like I did Drew Hill album. I'm involved in the album cover, talking to the graphics designer. After like I'm going to Baltimore next week for them to shoot a huge video for the single that's doing well. Um, I'm involved in what they're gonna look like to the marketing and where the ads and da da da. So it's a lot, you know. But because I was a manager, it's easy for me to kind of go through these different hats real quick. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, like that Saint Beauty. I don't have to do that as much because. Wonderland team is absolutely wonderful. Mm. They're very organized and very clear their brand. So that was that's actually a really great deal for me to kind of learn some stuff from them. Actually, you know, from the way they do things. Wow! Wow! So, um, how does like an A and R even? get paid is it like salary because you yeah, yeah, mentioned salary. a bonus and contracts all that. you know contracts uh. you negotiate your deal and you get a contract and you roll out i mean you know what i mean and it could be do what you want it to be a one-year deal two-year deal three-year deal um there's contentions if you get let go they got to pay you out this if not it depends on it's all on what you negotiate okay so so you could probably negotiate 
getting like a piece of an artist like album sales and all that yeah or, yeah that's all in the deal yeah wow wow yeah. so with social media and the way that i guess people release their music out now do you think anring has deflated in what it used to be like i mean you still have like big anrs like you like lenny s and people like that but you also have like a plethora of like soundcloud rappers and people like on instagram mm. You got to kind of do both. Like, I'm on Instagram. I mean, I'm on Instagram and see people. People hit me all the time. I go on SoundCloud and look. It can get kind of monotonous and boring mm. at times. So I'm just old school. Like, I do look at it, and I found Fiji McIntosh, who's one of our number one priorities. He's, a, he's like, I guess, in the lane of a trippy red or a little Uzi Vert. Mm -hmm. And I found him because I saw somebody else I wanted to sign that I couldn't sign that said, check out my man. And it was just meant for me to see that day. So after I signed him, everybody else tried to sign him. I'd already signed him to a three-album deal. Uh -huh. So, I mean, I just saw it on. I saw a clip of a video that this other guy shared. And I was like, oh, wow, he's a star. Like, what's going on? And DM'd him and stayed in his DMs until his mom called me back. <laughs> and that's how that happened. You know what I mean? He had to pass through moms. Okay. Yeah. So um, you mentioned you could have signed Drake as a manager. Is there anybody that you could have tried and, and signed uh, as an A&R that slipped through? No. Yeah? No. Oh, okay. No, if I want you... No, you know who I did try to sign? Who? I tried to sign Joe Gifted um, when he had that song, The Water. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think you know, they're dope. They're, they're cool people. I, I thought it was great for me to sign them because I told him that you got a great song, but you need to be developed. More. And I, I don't want you to get this single and blow up and it just go away. I think if you come with me... I'm going to really work to kind of make sure that you're ready all the way around. I think you just needed more development. Like mm -hmm. I said, you can catch that song early and not be ready. And then, you know, so, I mean, I'm not saying it's over. I mean, he just put out a project and it's pretty dope. I mean, we'll see what happens. But I think that I really wanted him for the benefit for him, you right. know. And I think that they took Warner Brothers because they was giving out a bag. And, mm -hmm. you know, at the time during that period. And I think that's what it was. So. You were trying to invest in the artist and not the song. that he Yeah, had. yeah. And it's hard to convince. I mean, they're cool people. I love them. And we all learn. I think it's hard to convince somebody sometimes. you like, yo, come with me. I guess I know how coaches feel like basketball and football. Like, I can't give you what you probably want as the number one pick. But mm -hmm. I trust me, if you stay here and you stay, if you don't get injured for a year, what you're going to learn. It's like going to play for the Patriots. No one goes to the Patriots and get top dollar except really Tom Brady. Right. Everybody kind of take a pay cut because they're going to learn the system. They're going to learn a whole bunch of stuff and they're going to probably get a ring. Right. And they're going to eat for a while. Exactly. A so, lot longer than probably other right. places. So that, I think that's what it is and it's longevity in that. So Absolutely. So you've ever gotten an artist signed, got the album out, album releases out, it tanks. Hmm. I don't know. Not an official album, no. Not an official? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. All mm -hmm. right. That's pretty good. So Mixtapes. Mixtapes? Yeah. Does those really count? No, it's a testing ground, but, you know, um, you know. Mm. So how do you cultivate an artist, I would, I would say, other than, like, just putting them in the studio, like, for, like, shows and things like that? I just, I, I, I look at it like, I just try to look inside them and make them a better version of themselves. And it's time consuming because first I got to become a fan. And then as a mm. fan, I got to figure out what I want to see from this artist and build the artist trust. And I, I, I'm trying to get them to tell their real story, their real truth. And then I'm trying to figure out how to put it in an audible form that's going to sell and not be too offensive and stuff. Sometimes it could be stressful for the artist because you push them and they don't get it. But I feel like it's like if I had to do it in a vision, it's like... I'm sitting there and I'm it's like I'm looking at the artist and I'm painting, right? I'm doing a portrait like the Mona Lisa. Mm -hmm. But when I turn when I turn the painting around or whatever, the artist goes, Wow, um, that's not me. It looks nothing like me. I'll be like, I didn't paint this, you did. What where did you did you think I was sitting here with brushes? You actually was doing it and I was just watching it from the other side as if I just turned the painting around. Right. That's it should be it, more of a mirror. Right, like a mirror, right. But it's like I just want to, you know, as you, I say painting because it's like it's coming together mm -hmm. versus it just being straight a mirror reflection. Right. But it is a mirror. And sometimes when you turn that painting around, people don't like what they see inside. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, Especially artists. Cause artists. Let's face it, most of them, pretty much all of them are sensitive. Very. Right, <laughs> and it's their life, and they're putting it out there. So it's weird, like, you know, 
I don't think I even got, I mean, I was not sensitive to it. I don't think until recently, like even me in my personal life and, you know, wanting to be married or look at, you know, dealing with wives. And before you, I think before you could do that, like I had to take like this last holiday to sit back and look at myself and you just, you don't want to deal with yourself sometime. Like you'd be like, whoa, like, like I'm sitting here and I'm sitting here on the couch and I'm seeing myself on the other side of the couch. And, you know, you got to own up to what you've done to women or what you didn't offer women or, you know, you only gave them half. You know, so it's like you dealing with yourself. So it's like, in, a, in some poetic way is like I was kind of making my album right you're you know, seeking your own redemption seeking my own redemption right and it was just like what the like damn that's deep I need to write that uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to note to self copyright that <laughs> <clears throat> but um so when you do find an artist and you're trying to cultivate them in the studio do you think it's better to have that artist and then find like a sole producer so that they can work and build like a better relationship or would you rather try and get them with like, you need to go with the Pharrells, you need to holler at Timbaland right now because he, he ain't been working uh, in a couple of years. I don't, but that, that theory's over now because mm. people get so many beats from online and people send it, it's like, you know, whatever. Now this is the down part. I think that when you, the producers, artists benefit from one producer like a, like a, you can tell that future benefited from Metro Boom and concentrating on him. Right. You know what I mean? Or 21 Savage benefited from Metro Boom and kind of being his boy and being around and focusing on him. I think that when you get that one sound, that one sound, that's the idea that you want. Right. You know what I mean? If they're good and can handle that pressure. Um, even if they're helping to select other records outside of their own, it's sonically. Like, I think Mike Will has proven him as one unit. Can did it. So I think that's the ultimate goal. And I think, and you know, if you could find that, that's gold. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, um, um, I mean, I, I think that's the best way to go, but that doesn't mean you can't put together a killer album um, with peace and stuff together either. But I'm a fan of one main guy that gets the whole vision and yeah. sticking with that guy and just adding pieces around it. Like a no ID type of person. So wait, let me ask you, who's your top five producers then? Ooh, I don't... Wow. That's a good question, bro. Um, Man, I don't even know if I could answer that. I mean... You're going to piss somebody. You're going to get a text message. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm going to forego that question because I can't... I can't... I don't know if I want to answer that if that's not being disrespectful. Okay. All right, let me try an alternate question then. What's, okay. what's your favorite era of like the hip-hop and R&B genre? Man. Can you answer that one either? Yeah, I can. Uh, I'll okay. say that. <laughs> I, everybody scream 90s. I scream 80s. Really? Like yeah. the Rakim, Big Daddy Kane? Yeah. Rakim, Big Daddy Kane. Uh, I'm talking Kid and Play, Salt and Pepper. Yeah. NWA. Um, uh, yeah, NWA, BDP. Ooh. Um... Beastie Boys, um, X Clan, Public uh, Enemy. Public Enemy. I just think hip hop was just more well balanced. I think you had gangsters and you had yeah. Too Short and you had you had you e had everybody was in there. Oh, you had Digital Underground. I think it was late eighties going to nineties. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had it was just more well balanced hip hop. It was just like it was you, more fun too, right? Because once it got fun. to to the nineties and all the drug dealers got in there, got 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 a lot, little mm -hmm. bit more dangerous. <laughs> I, I distinctly remember. One day, Tribe Called Quest was like the shit. Tribe 2, you got to add in the 80s. It, it was like, mm -hmm. it, Tribe Called Quest was the shit, like probably 90, 89, 90, whatever. And I remember literally, it was like I went to sleep, woke up, woke up one day, and I think Snoop blew up with the chronic, and it was like everything went to blunts and bitches ain't shit but hoes and tricks. It literally went from dancing, like literally I, I saw, uh, I think this was like my senior year or junior year in high school, about to go to college, but I literally saw people with funny haircuts dancing in a party one day and then literally like the next week it was like i'm hard <laughs> tims and hoodies and right i'm like when did this happen like it literally like, you still had brothers stuck with haircuts mm. like it was like nah that's not cool i remember my own boy like i have a video i was performing i was still kind of in that mode and he was kind of had his hat on and he was like really in the epmd which i think was kind of the predecessor with that mm -hmm. and, and he was just like nah i'm just hard yo and i was like but i look like a dancer <laughs> like yeah it was, it was like it did, i just saw it stop bam it was like it was it was the chronic and then it was red man with uh. what the, the first album and it was like over. It was like no more. You can't dance at the club and you can't do routines Everybody at the house party. Nah, in. it was a whole nother level. <laughs> so what would you say is your your 
most difficult industry experience or situation? Mm, I think the, I think the 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 um the 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 breakup with Trey. I think we were we 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 operated like family. He lived in my house on Camp Creek for two or three years making an album, and then literally he left my house and left like without. It was kind of crazy, but I think what happened is that you you learn. Kings are made to the alchemists again. Like mm-hmm. I think kings are made to withstand stuff, and I think that that was hard because when you go through something, if you view it as betrayal, and then it's like you got so you got something going on between you and that person, mm-hmm. but then you get to see everybody else kind of choose sides, and then you see people in that the you house? get well, they leave in the house or they mm-hmm. left, but you get to see people choose sides, and you get to see people that you literally help from your heart and put them on, and mm-hmm. you see them basically turn their back on you because. They don't. They want to go where they think the food train is going right. at the time, and they made those decisions. So you, it's like you're dealing with. It's like, damn, I really should just be dealing with me and this guy's situation. But now I got to look at this person, this person, Wait, that was, person. Was this, this the house that like like a bunch of people were staying in? I think uh, what's the name from Lip Service? Gigi McGuire yeah. and all that. Yep. Wow. So it was kind of it was it was that was the most difficult part. It took years to get over that because you know you got to just look at different people differently and make you view life so differently. And I think the way I got over that after time is cost time. I think you just you just really know what people are capable of. Mm. So I I don't do nothing I don't want to do anymore. I try to keep a policy of like I'm not trying to overextend myself. Right. Or you know, here's the quote that I got this week. So you know you definitely gonna dig this. Don't set yourself on fire to keep somebody else warm. That's wise words. Very wise words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why overextend yourself for somebody that Correct. isn't even going to help reciprocate it back? Right. All right. So I got to know from my own personal knowledge, how lit do industry parties get? I don't know anymore. I'm not really in that mode. They used to be off the chain. I think they calmed down a lot. Yeah? Yeah. So yeah. in the heyday of like... Heyday off the chain. Heyday, I've seen Mariah Carey with no panties on dance on top of a table in Puffy's restaurant. What? So, I mean, like, they used to get out of hand. I mean, but I don't... Like, they may still get out of hand, <laughs> but I'm not in, I'm not a part of that scene mm. because I noticed that the people with the real money, like, besides puffing them, they're not part of that scene. Like, so it's kind of like, I don't really care, but... um. Where are um, they but, at? They out in like Mayork or something like that? Just New York, LA. I mean, you got different levels. I'm sure there's crazy parties in the hills and, and Beverly Hills and all that stuff. I just never, mm-hmm. a year, I haven't been in, involved in those parties in years. <clears throat> I never really cared about that. Okay. So. Except during the heyday. Yeah, the heyday. Yeah, because yeah. you're curious. Come it's on, like, now. you gotta no, give us some stories. What's the curious? <laughs> I don't really have no real story. I mean, it's curious. Like, you know, New York was a different animal. Like, I mean, literally in the heyday in the early 2000s, you're talking like Rockefeller and oh, bad uh, all boy. that bad boy. I mean, like, yo, there was. Did they fuck the game up? I feel like they no, really fucked the game up. No, I don't think they did. I think they showed you could make money in it. I think that um, it used to be five parties a night. So literally, God, you damn. would go to one. It used to be all free, open bar, sponsored by all these corporations because hip-hop was on fire. And you literally, would, we would literally start at one party, and then we would all see each other. Like, you'll see some people leave, and they're going to the next party, next party, next party. And literally, you'd do that from Monday to Thursday if you wanted to. There was a party in New York somewhere. Everybody was somewhere. It's literally like you would see everybody at this. We would go from party to party to party. <laughs> so think about how drunk, <clears throat> but, you know, <clears throat> how intoxicated we would be and shit. You know, it was a great time. It was good, clean, fun. Like, I didn't see, I mean, you had people wilding out and whatever you would think of the party, but it was like no drama, wasn't no, <clears throat> no violence. Mm. We all knew each other. Like, at the door, it was like crazy. Like, it was a great time. Absolutely, especially you some right here dancing with no panties on. Yeah, that was a great. That was Christmas Eve too. Can we all just take a moment of silence for that? Yeah, Christmas <laughs> Eve, man. Nice. So, what's the groupie situation like? Cause you got Trey songs, R and B superstar, has to be pandemonium. You know what? It it does, but I never really participated in it. I know this sound lame, like 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 you know maybe I don't know. Like I mean, did I get women from stuff like that? Yeah, but I don't think apps are fucking loot. Yeah, I just don't think I got. I don't think I took full advantage, you know. And that's because maybe I was ten years older. I've Mm. been to school. I mean, I wild out in college, so I mean, it's kind of like I I was cool. Like I always wanted my women. I had certain women I had in different cities that I went into that I probably actually knew mm. from college or some type of something. So I kind of dealt with them if it was like, show me around or whatever, da, 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 or let's get up and have, like, it was more that, like, I didn't really get involved in a groupie situation. Gotcha, gotcha. You kept it very wise. Yeah. 
I should. I need to definitely take notes on that one. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, always. I say if you got a male artist or any artist, I would say if you go participate in that type of stuff, make sure your room is on a different floor and never let your artist see what chick. Like, so wise man told me that and I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And it was like, look, when you, you know, when I first started off, it was a, it was a transportation driver. He was like, look, I've been doing this for a long time. Like, don't let your artist see your chicks. Don't share chicks. Like, like get it, get your room on a different floor. And if you got your chick, like, if she come to the club, tell her don't come nowhere near y'all. VIP, nothing. Don't even let your artist see her. Tell her to be, you know, at the room. You could leave her the key, let her go, be on a different floor. Don't never let your artist see it. He said, because at some point, what's his is his and what yours is his. Mm. Keep it separate, but equal. Keep it separate. Don't even mm. let him see it. Just handle your business and then go do what you got to do. And then da da da. So, you know, that was wise words. So, any new manager, I would tell him that. Absolutely. You ain't got to tell me twice. Uh, so. With all this scandal that's actually hitting entertainment, mainly Hollywood now, pop, well, yeah, politics, journalism, and all that, do you think at a certain point, actually with, with Russell stepping down recently, you think it's going to sweep over the music industry as well? I mean, god damn. I mean, sorry to cuss like that's unapologetic, right? I just feel like... Oh, yeah, please, cuss all the fuck you want. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I just think, I just think, I don't know. It could be, but just like this, man, the, the the music industry and the film industry has a lot of sleaze bags, and it has for a lot of years. So it's like, are we going to take out the whole industry now? It looked like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, L.A. went down, you know, um, you know, Harvey, now Russell. I mean, <clears throat> if that's the case, they're going to take down the whole industry. Like, I mean, it's just part of the, it's part of the, what has happened. I mean, I've never done nothing like that mm-hmm. because I haven't been in a position, I feel, too. But I feel like... You haven't been me too though, right? What? You, you haven't been me too though, right? What's me too? Me too is when, um, when the start first started and people was on, like, Facebook and all that saying, like, hashtag me too. No. Like they were, okay. No, 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 no. I don't even know what that is, so that's uh, a good thing. Yeah, you were never propositioned by, a, I don't know, an agent or an exec or anything like that. No. Okay. Good. No, 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 yeah, no. victims here. No, nah, <laughs> no victims here. Um, yeah, on the exec side, I could definitely see it. I don't know about artists, though, because, I mean, they're pretty, they kind of go out of their way to let you know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they do, but it is what it is. But, um... Trying to think. Oh, that's it. Any other questions? Yeah, uh, one more. Okay. Who's your favorite CEO? Wow. You gotta answer this one because you didn't answer the other one. Right. Oh man. Um. I enjoyed <clears throat> working with Julie Greenwall. Okay. I think that she was strong as a man. <clears throat> And knew when to take her woman side and no, but I felt like <clears throat> she really cared about the artist still after all this time. And I think she understood who I was and I think I understood who she was. And I think she understood how to de- developing an artist and what I do was very important. Mm. So I think part of leaving Atlantic was kind of weird for me because I think we were at the place where me and her was going to rock and roll. Now, granted, you can't get too comfortable. It is what it is. But I felt like I learned a lot from her and she was always on top of it. So it's weird being around so many CEOs, but I think she's the one who get it. I think she's the main reason why Atlantic is still thriving. Like, I think she cares about that. She comes from Def Jam and the culture. I think she's matured, obviously, as a woman and a parent and care about the artist and trying to figure it out and what's organic and what's not. Like, I think Julie Greenwald is probably who I learned from the most and how to be a leader and still be cool and and still be hard, you know. Yeah? Yeah. Hey, sometimes women get it done better. Yeah. Well, Delonte, I'd like to thank you personally for coming out and taking the time and driving hella far just to come interview with my me. pleasure man where can the people find you at <clears throat> man you can find me on um on twitter i'm at at delante how lucky was that um instagram i'm at butter murphy b-u-t-t-a-m-u-r-p-h-y and um i think that's the main thing i say instagram and twitter and uh, you're probably not gonna get me on facebook but that's just my name so yeah <laughs> uh, so that sounds perfect this has been unapologetically candid and we 